Well, good morning, Northridge Church. It's good to be with you. Thank you for joining, whether you're here in the room at Rochester, jumping in online, or if you are with my family and friends at Webster. Guys, hello from the Rochester campus. It is a gift to be in the room with you guys this morning. Thank you for having me. We're going to be continuing in our series in the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. So you can go ahead, grab your copy of God's word, make your way to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be beginning at verse 16. And while you're turning there, I have a question that I want to ask you, and that question is this. Have you ever judged someone and got it wrong? And I don't mean like a little bit, but I mean you were way off. Like you thought you had this person figured out, you had made all of these assumptions, but as time progressed and you saw this person more frequently or you got to know them a little bit better, you started to realize, man, I was off. Well, I asked that question and I have a little bit of a story that I'd like to share with you this morning. It was probably April of 2018, and I was in the car with a good friend of mine, and we were driving along doing something that we frequently do when we talk, and that's talk football. So we were talking football, and of course, for any NFL fans in the room, any college football fans in the room, you know April is draft season. And so me and my buddy were driving along the road, and one of the things I love to do is pick apart the prospects that are moving from the college ranks into the professional world. And there was this one particular guy that that April, that year, he had just shot up in the draft boards. No one had really known his name. He was virtually a nobody in terms of players. But he was just, everywhere you looked, they were saying his name. This guy's got a rocket arm. He's huge. He's a giant. He can sling the football a mile. You might be familiar with him. His name is Josh Allen. Yeah, any Bills fans in here? Yeah? Let's go. Man, football season is just around the corner. And I could not be more ready. But taking you back to this car where me and my buddy were just talking And I just kept bashing Josh Allen. Josh, I'm sorry. I know you're working this week. You're at St. John Fisher working with your team. I'm sorry. I got it wrong. But man, I don't know what it was. I had had no knowledge of who Josh Allen really was. I'd heard his name. I'd seen the video clips. But I just kept saying, man, there's no way this guy's going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. Even if he can throw it a mile, he's got to be able to throw it to a place that he wants to. He's got to be accurate with it. He's got to be able to complete passes. I say all that to say that we as people are very good at judging others. We're very good at it. We sometimes, I admit, we enjoy it. It just comes naturally. But we often don't really appreciate receiving judgment from others, do we? We really don't. We don't really appreciate when judgment comes against us and when others make false assumptions and they don't even know us. Well, I hope that verse 16 in Colossians 2 is a little bit, uh, a little bit comforting to you this morning. It says, Paul, as he wrote, writes in verse 16, therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Everybody can take a deep breath. Oh, like, doesn't that feel good? Like, don't let anyone judge you. But before we move on, anytime we read the word therefore in scripture, We really should go back a little bit. That should cause our minds to think, oh, okay, so what I'm about to read is based on something that's already been said previously. Anytime we read, therefore, in scripture, it tells us that something has happened prior to what we're about to read that's really important for us to know. 
And if you've been with us over the summer here at the Rochester campus, you've been out at the Webster campus or tuning in online, you may recall a central theme in the letter to the Colossians. And that central theme is this, that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme. He is the supreme authority, and in him all the fullness of God dwells. And as we take a look at these next few verses in Paul's letter to the Colossians, you and I today, I want us to be reminded that what Paul says in these next few verses hinges entirely on the work of Jesus on the cross. So verse 16, Paul says, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So Paul says, because of Jesus, the Colossian church, he reminds them to not allow anyone to judge them. And then he gives very specific parameters He says, don't let others judge you based on what you eat, what you drink. Don't let them judge you based on the holidays that you do or don't observe. And Paul is speaking specifically to the things that believers had placed an unnecessary emphasis on. The Colossian church had become fixated on the Sabbath, the new moon festival, and special diets. Now for some of us, we may look at this passage and say, Well, what's the problem here? The Colossians are following the law. They're doing all of the right things. And for others of us in the room or at Webster online this morning, we're thinking of one word and it just keeps going off and off and off like an alarm in our head. And that word is legalism. What is legalism? Legalism is simply dependence on moral law rather than on religious faith. Now, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with legalism? Well, again, if you've spent any time with us going through the book of Colossians, it's the exact opposite of what Paul's message is. Jesus is our authority as Christ followers, not the individual. Legalism is to take something that cannot bring or keep favor with God and make it a requirement for ourselves and for others. Paul continues in verse 17, he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul tells us that these legalistic rules, they lack any substance. That ultimately they were a shadow of what has already come. And he goes on to say that our reality as followers of Jesus is found in Christ. And here's what that means for you. Here's what it means for me as we follow Jesus together. It means that we have to learn to differentiate our new reality in Jesus from the shadows. And you may say, all right, Jeremy, I got you. That's easy enough. Have you watched the news recently? Have you looked outside your window? This world is an ugly place. Evil is everywhere. And I would say, yeah, you're right. I agree with you. I think of Brad's example last week that he used of one of my favorite movie trilogies, the Christopher Nolan Batmans. And whenever I hear the word shadow, I think of those movies, man, because you never see a glimmer of light in those movies. They're like three hours long, each of them, and you, you, you never see the light of day. 
And often when you and I think of shadows, we think of it in a similar context. We saw, see, see all of the Gotham-like dark and broken symptoms of the people, the neighborhoods, the city, and the country that we live in that are all infected with the same disease of sin. In fact, if we had time today, we could talk for far too long about the evil, the atrocities of the past and the present that sin has caused in our world. And last week, Brad touched on some of the issues that the Colossian church faced from outside the body of believers in Colossae. But in the passages we're gonna look at today, Paul takes a look at potential pitfalls that existed within the church of the Colossians. Now for you and I, it's important. This, this is important. We wanna understand that the things we're talking about were things that were happening inside the church. It wasn't outside, it was inside. They were things that people within the body of believers had grown accustomed to believing and practicing. And these shadows can be very tricky to identify because they are often ideas that sound wise and they have the appearance of being helpful. Some of the shadows that Paul talks about originated from an earlier time. They're from the Mosaic Covenant. And at one point, these things may have been necessary for godly living. They were what you and I would today refer to as ceremonial laws. But Paul says in this passage, they are no longer required. Now I want you to think about that chore that you have at home that's waiting on you when you get, get back home today. That one you gotta do every week or you gotta do every day. Think about your, your spouse or whoever's in your house with you saying, hey, we don't have to worry about that anymore. It's taken care of. Somebody else is gonna worry about that. You don't have to wash the dishes again. Praise the Lord. I'd be all over that. Or maybe you're like me. And folding laundry is just, oh, man, Lord, I, I, would, I would appreciate not having to do that ever again. And if you spent any time in the Old Testament, you see, man, if, if you're not grateful for Jesus already, you read through any Old Testament law, and you see all the do's and do nots that used to apply to followers of God. But now, as Paul refers to, they are no longer required for godly living. Why? Because of Jesus. And a few weeks ago, we were reminded in Colossians chapter two, verses nine through 10, that for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. See, our reality as Christ followers is fullness and freedom through Jesus. It's not freedom through wearing the right clothes, not freedom through eating a clean diet. It's not freedom through good deeds. It was true for the Colossians and it's true for you and I as followers of Jesus today that our spiritual freedom is dependent on God's work in us and not our own. And spiritual freedom is, could not be more opposite of how we often view freedom today. Our culture views freedom as, as something that's rich with selfish ambition. We think of freedom today often as statements like, you do you. Hey, whatever you want, you go get it. Do whatever you want. Be whatever you want to be. 
True spiritual freedom is freedom from the bondage of our sinful nature. And our love and appreciation for that spiritual freedom, it only grows as we spend time with Jesus in solitude, worship, community, and prayer. And church family today, we have to be vigilant. We need to be alert for any version of the gospel that would claim to offer greater standing with Jesus based on our own works. So how do we know? What are some of the warning signs of legalism and rules taking the place of Jesus? I'm glad you asked. We're gonna take a look at verse 18. What Paul says is that such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. This person leaves nothing to the imagination. They go to great lengths to talk about the things that they've seen and experienced. They're loudly opinionated and they speak of their own personal experiences. But notice what Paul does not say in verse 18. Paul does not say that these people speak about the many ways that God is the source of their growth and wisdom. He goes on to say that they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual minds. So we can almost picture this person They're wrapped up in their own ideas and self-inspired rules. They come up with all kinds of new concepts, yet they lack any action or implementation. They don't go anywhere spiritually. And yet it is here in verse 19 where Paul reveals the real cause of the problem with the people he's talking about. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Paul is describing people that have become entirely consumed with their own ideas, their own experiences. They are so filled with pride and they've become completely disconnected from Jesus. In their eyes, They have it all figured out. And on the surface to you and I today, it may seem simple to identify a life that is not fully devoted to Jesus. But the reality is that the Colossian church evidently had people that claimed to hold the keys to spiritual growth and health through things like self-denial, legalism, visions, and other practices. People that on the outside Man, they looked good. They seemed godly. They ate all the right foods and they avoided the wrong ones. They observed the holy days and they knew the law. But inwardly, these people struggled with an enemy that you and I are all too familiar with. Pride. They followed their own ideologies that they believed would result in spiritual growth. Their claims promised true spiritual fullness and freedom, yet their hearts were left empty. Their faith lied in the religious practices and the laws of the day and not in the fullness of Jesus. 
and it could become really convenient. It could be really comfortable for me and for us this morning to point fingers at these people that Paul is talking about. But if we can be real with ourselves, if we can be honest, we are more like the Colossians Paul is talking about than we'd like to admit. See, we're pretty good at judging each other. Our friends, family, coworkers, and man, I know I'm especially good at judging people that I know very little to nothing about. When I reflect on that story I shared of just bashing Josh Allen, I had no place to do that. I never met him. Eventually, I did get the chance to meet him, which he's a great guy, but I had based all of my assumptions and judgments of him as a person, as a player, on very, very limited outward appearance. It's been said that the person who judges a believer, because that believer is not living under Jewish laws, is really judging Jesus. He is saying that Christ did not finish the work of salvation on the cross and that we must add something to it. He is also saying that Jesus Christ is not sufficient for all the spiritual needs of the Christian. The false teachers in Colossae were claiming to have a deeper spiritual life for all who would practice the law. Outwardly, their practices seemed to be spiritual. But in reality, these practices accomplished nothing spiritual. Now, I wonder what would happen today if we viewed our relationships with fellow followers of Jesus, if we saw each other as people that are safe and secure in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And what would happen in our relationships with people that don't know Jesus yet, who haven't placed their faith in him, if we viewed them in the context of Jesus has done everything required and necessary for them to be declared righteous and holy and blameless in God's sight, they just don't know it yet. They're still in the dark. What would happen if you remembered that your reality as a Christ follower is fullness and freedom through Jesus. Not Jesus plus good works. Not Jesus plus getting everything on the outside looking good so people have this assumption that I have everything together, that I've figured it out, that I've achieved this level of spirituality. And there's two types of people today that I think this message really applies to. Just a little bit of a disclaimer, it's everybody. <laughs> and the two labels that, that I have are not very desirable. And as I, was, as I was in this passage preparing for this morning, the Holy Spirit revealed in my heart the many areas I have to continue to grow in both of these ways. The first type of person that I believe this message is for are the people pleasers. Verse 16 says, don't let anyone judge you. And I'm pretty sure anyone includes you. 
And for some of us in this room, there's not a more harsh critic of your walk with Jesus than you. You are carrying the burden of trying to earn favor that's already been given to you in the person of Jesus. Jesus said, my burden is light. Are you holding on to religious activities or the appearance of spirituality as the source of freedom in your life? It is pride that convinces you and I of the lie that we can somehow earn a better standing with God than what he's already freely given. And for others of us, this is really true in my life, we tend to think that we have things figured out. By outward appearances, it may even look as though we do. So here's what we fall into. Pointing the finger at others. We're the accusers. Verse 19 is for us where Paul says they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments. For the accusers in the room and online and at Webster, we need to lay down the burden of fixing everyone else's issues and solving all of the world's problems. And we must remember that it took the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God to save the world from all of its failure, from all of the poor religious performance, from the lack of love for our neighbor, for spiritual apathy, and all the brokenness that comes as a result of sin. It is pride that whispers to us, brothers and sisters, if only everyone would see things the way that I do. If only everyone else could just get their act together. What's wrong with that person? See, the truth is that without the work of Jesus, both of these labels, these less than admirable qualities would hopelessly apply to all of us. And if you are anything like me this morning, the prideful moments of people pleasing and accusing whether in thought or in deed, they're more evident in our lives than we would like. Paul continues in verse 23. He says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. All of these things come far too naturally for us. And that is why, as the people pleasers, the accusers, and just to put it plainly, as sinners in this fallen world, we are in desperate, dire need, not of more man-made rules, not of self-imposed worship, but of a redeemer. commands us to starve in such a woman. 
What do you say? I'll give my stone to the first man who tells me that he has never sinned. Powerful depiction of the story in John chapter 8 where we see that Jesus finds himself in the situation where this woman has been accused of adultery. And by the letter of the law, she deserves death. But as all of her accusers run and flee, Jesus asks her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Now, if there was one person who had every right to judge and condemn this woman, it was the perfect son of God. And how did he respond? Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Some translations read that statement as, neither do I judge you. For this woman, religious rules, appearance, had no power to save her from the problem her sin had put her in. In fact, the law deemed her dead. It was through the power of the spoken word of Jesus that this woman was redeemed. And that is why for us today, we must remember that our spiritual freedom is dependent on the Redeemer. 
And I think for most of us, we'd say we believe that. But do our lives truly reflect it? As I've already shared with you, at various seasons in my life, pride shows its ugly self as striving for self-approval and the praise of those around me, doing everything within my power to hopefully arrive somewhere spiritually or at least have that appearance so that I can point to all the good things that I've done. And at other times, I've fallen into the prideful trap of judging others based purely on their performance or appearance, not seeing them through the lens that Jesus does as redeemed and restored by his grace and his grace alone. So as we leave today, I'd like to leave us with a question to reflect on. Paul says very clearly that pride comes as a result of being disconnected from Jesus. Are you disconnected from Jesus? Have you lost connection with him? Are you busy doing seemingly good things in the eyes of others, all the while missing out on the spiritual fullness and freedom that only comes through Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And in your word, you say, you are the vine, we are the branches. And the truth is, God, that apart from you, we could do no good thing. Convict us, Lord, of the, the lies that we've lived that, that would tell us that by somehow in our own power, in our own good deeds, that we could somehow attain something that's already been given to us freely by you. We are so grateful for you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us on the cross, rising and conquering our sin. May our lives be lived in response to what you've already done for us. It's in that wonderful name of Jesus that we pray, amen.